0: Storms are inevitable. There is no such thing as a perfectly safe existence. We will not get out of this life alive. We're all dying. I am grateful that in the midst of the storm, we have a Savior, and we have a security and a safety in Him that the world cannot understand. I'm glad that you're here. I'm just curious how many of you are physically present for the first time since the COVID thing began. You're physically present for the first time. Praise God, I am so glad to see you. I know that there are others who are not here because they do not feel safe and secure to come out yet, and I just pray that they will feel secure. I don't want anyone to take a chance if they are at risk. And we have some members with physical maladies, with, with problems that they really do not need to be here. And if that's you and you're on the live stream, we're glad to have you in any way that we can have you with us. We are finishing today the series that I began on shady ladies in the lineage of jesus shady ladies in the lineage of jesus that is taken from the passage in matthew chapter one and i you will notice that i have abridged the passage this morning so that i can get all those names on one screen in the lineage of jesus normally in a jewish lineage there tim there would only be men but somehow the spirit of god chose to inspire matthew in writing the genealogy of jesus christ to include five women um, tamar rahab ruth bathsheba and in the following verse of course mary and so my series about the shady ladies mary's not included in that spoke about mary last week and it was more to do with mother's day than it was to do with shady ladies but Every one of these women have something in their background. Three of them were, were not Jews. They were foreigners. Um, but every one of them have something in their story that has caused them to be considered a shady lady. Today we're talking about Bathsheba. And Bathsheba's story is a story of the grace of God. Now, I have tried to be very careful in preparing the message for today, and I'll try to be careful as I bring the message. I've tried to stay away from David. This is not a sermon about David. Now, you'll get one of those, believe me. You'll get one of those later. But I, I've not heard many stories about, or many sermons about Bathsheba. And I'm convinced most of those that I've heard, Sue, about Bathsheba got it all wrong. And and I want to try to give you what the Bible shows about Bathsheba from a biblical and even a current point of view. And I want to cover the life of Bathsheba in four different epochs of her life. Now, I heard another preacher preaching the other day, and he called it an epoch um i i guess alan it depends on what part of the south you're from but you know it's epoxy but it's not epoch it's epoch uh, a division of events and periods in our lives you've well i look around the crowd some of you not lived long enough to know this but if you live very long you know that your life goes through phases your marriage goes through phases Your walk with God goes through phases, and I guess I could have called it the four phases of her life. Epic just sounds better. The first epic that I want to point out to you, and many people do not recognize in the life of Bathsheba, is the epic of nobility. The epic of nobility. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, by the way, that's where most of this story takes place, is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. That is a key idea. I'm not going to preach about his sense of entitlement. That's the first point of the sermon you'll hear someday. But Nevertheless, he did not go out to battle. It happened that late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. That speaks volumes, but I'm not going to talk about that. And was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Now, if I were preaching about David, I would talk about his obligation to look away and not look. Um, But since I'm not preaching about David... What I do want to point out to you, he saw Bathsheba from his rooftop. Doing that means she lived close to the palace. She lived in the ritzy neighborhood. She lived, how, how better can I say it? She lived next door to the king. You do understand what that means, right? She, had, she was of a special class of people. She was of the upper echelon. She, was, she lived a privileged life. We, we talk about privilege today and whether one is privileged or not. She was a privileged person. Not only that, but she was very beautiful. She was one of the, not just the nobility, the privileged people. She was a beautiful woman. David sent and inquired about the woman. He looked, and by the way, I'm not preaching about this, but he looked, and he looked again, and he looked again, and he looked again. Then he took the next step and sent to find out about her. David had a woman problem, but I'm not preaching about David. Have I said that yet? He sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam now you have to do a little research to figure out what that means David Eliam was one of David's mighty men he's listed what is that second Samuel chapter 23 or 24 where the 31 mighty men of David are listed Eliam Bathsheba's father was one of David's mighty men that is a part of her nobility. That is why she lived close to the king's palace. By the way, if you study that, Eliam Gael, is the son of Ahitophel. Anybody recognize the name Ahitophel? Ahitophel was David's most trusted advisor. Uh, the rest of the story for Ahitophel. Now I'm not preaching about him either, but I'll tell you the rest of the story. Uh, when Absalom rebelled against David and became the king for a short time and David had to flee, Ahithophel was the guy who joined forces with Absalom and when Absalom would not take his advice, he went home and hung himself because he knew what was going to happen. That's Ahithophel. The Bible in that place, Gail, says that The word of Ahithophel was like the word of God to David and to Absalom. This is Ahithophel's granddaughter. Get the point? By the way, I wonder if that's, Rodney, I wonder if that's why Ahithophel rebelled against David, because of what he did to his granddaughter. That's speculation, but it makes sense to me. Well, by the way, not only does she live close to the palace, not only is she beautiful, I mean, she's part of the upper class, the elite, the darlings of the kingdom. Her father, her grandfather is David's most trusted advisor. Her father is one of David's mighty men. And so is her husband. She is the wife. We ought to circle that word. I would if I could. She's the wife of another man, David. Oh, wait. I'm not preaching about David. She's the wife of Uriah, another one of David's mighty men. She is of the noble class. You can just try to imagine right now what her life was like. But I need to tell you something. Beauty, fame, and fortune... Are fleeting. I'm just a little bit of just a little bit of a of a movie buff. And one of my favorite movies is Notting Hill. That's my favorite Julie Roberts movie is Notting Hill, and I can't quite say it the way they do with that British accent. But in the movie, she says, "This whole thing, fame thing, it's not real, you know." There's a message in that. If you're counting on your status, your beauty, your wealth, your position, your advancement in your occupation, if you're counting on all of that for your security and for your protection, I would remind you of the video that Aaron showed us earlier. Storms are inevitable. Bathsheba did not bring this upon herself. David did. But her nobility and her position was not enough to protect her. What are you counting on to protect you? Be sure you, are, you have an anchor that holds because beauty fades away. Fame is not real it really isn't fortune is fleeting once you count on it it melts away be sure you have a secure foundation the next epoch in the life of bathsheba is the epoch of sin shame and sorrow first of all in that i've got three words sin shame and sorrow In the sin it says, David sent a messenger, sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now there's just an explanation about why she was bathing on the roof of her house and and that he could have sex with her because she was now purifying herself from her uncleanness. But she's still the wife of another man. And so this is an epic, she was not protected and she is now involved in sin, but I want to make it clear, he lay with her. She had no choice in almost every sermon that I've heard about Bathsheba, about all three of them, in every movie that I've ever seen made about Bathsheba, she had something to do with it she had a choice and if you think that you are wrong he's the king friend he's the king when he summons you come i understand that you don't understand that because we don't live in that kind of culture on the other hand there are plenty of women who have been sexually abused and molested by men who had power over them, and they felt that they could not refuse. Why do we blame the victim? Every preacher who's ever preached that Bathsheba had something to do and somehow she seduced David has done a disservice to a victim. Never blame the victim. Bathsheba was a victim of sexual abuse because he was the king and she could not say no. And she became involved due to no fault of her own in a situation of sin. And the wages of sin is death and the chickens always come home to roost if you'll allow me a southernism be sure your sin will find you out that's a message for david but it's a message for everybody who's involved in the situation by the way the shame the second thing is the shame and the woman conceived and she sent and told david i am pregnant for those Sweet couples in our church who are trying to conceive. I'm sorry, but here's another example of one time, one time, and the person conceived. Would to God that was for every set of parents who are dying to have children. And yet, those words, by the way, you don't know how often I curtail my sense of humor I had written on my Bible reading uh, my Bible reading schedule. I keep in my Bible. I had written in it, and I'd marked off the days, and I turned it over. and I was writing on the back, Jasmine, I was writing the sched- some of the Debbie, some of the most shocking statements in the Bible. One of them is, "I am Joseph." You need, you'll have to look that up to understand why that's a shocking statement. I am Joseph." Alice, one of the others was. I'm pregnant. And so I had that in my Bible, Charlotte, and I was at Dr. Quaid's office, and I was sitting there reading my Bible, and I had that laying open in my Bible, and she looked at that and looked at me like, (laughs) I am pregnant. Now the sin has brought shame. You see, now she has to deal with an episode that she would rather have forgotten, and now she cannot. She is pregnant, and she knows that it's not her husband's child, and he can count, and he knows that it's not his child. Probably everyone around her knows that it's not Uriah's child. Shame. So David's sin became Bathsheba's shame. And I'll say one more time. It's far too easy to see someone who has been taken advantage of and to blame the victim. Do not do that. She was not guilty, but... His sin led to her shame. I don't know how many people I might be speaking with this morning, speaking in front of, who have a shame, an episode of shame in your past, and it was not because of what you did. It was because of what was done to you. I want you to know God can make you new. He can make you clean. Come to Him. Allow Him to heal your soul, heal your heart. And He can turn, He can make beauty out of ashes. And I'll say one last time, if you have been the victim, young lady, if you've been a victim of sexual abuse, get that book, Breaking Free, by Beth Moore, and go through the Bible study. Uh, the, The title of the book should be Beauty from Ashes. Understand, never blame never shame the victim when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead oh how do I skip past to that verse okay let me tell you the story how many of you already know the story I'm just curious okay okay so David finds out that his sin is going he's going to be caught in his sin. So he brings his mighty warrior Uriah, one of the most faithful of his men, and he brings him home hoping that he'll go sleep with his wife and maybe the timing will be close enough that people will think that's Uriah's child. Uriah is a great soldier and he's not going to go sleep with his wife when the battle is still going on and the rest of the men are in the battle camp and he refuses to go home. To be with his wife. David brings him back again. And gets him drunk. Yes David drank. And yes David got drunk with him. Sorry it's in the Bible folks. It's there. But Uriah still refused to go home. And so David hatched a plot. And it was a plot of murder. It was a murderous plot. He sent word to Joab. If I were preaching about David, I'd have to say something about giving up his reputation with his general because Joab is now going to know for the rest of his life and David's that David was a murderer. He sent word to Joab to go into battle and retreat, to put Uriah on the front and retreat And make sure Uriah, it's a hot enough spot, Don, it's a hot enough spot in the battle that when they retreat and leave him there, that he wakes up dead. That's the southern way. That he's killed. By the way, later in the Bible it says that David was faithful in all his ways except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. He murders His lover's husband. And now the shame has turned to sorrow. The wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, heard that her husband was dead. She went into mourning. She lamented over her husband. Okay, movie producers, you say that Bathsheba did not love her husband, and so she was glad when the king sent from her Where is that in the Bible? I can show you her sorrow over the death of her husband. Sin leads to shame and shame leads to sorrow. Now instead of an epoch of nobility, of beauty, of pleasure, she is going through an epoch of sin, of shame and sorrow. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Later, Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. David was convicted, you know the story, and said, I have sinned. That's part of that that other sermon. David said to him, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless... Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. You see, Bathsheba not only suffered through the shame of being sexually abused, the sorrow of losing her husband, she lost a child that she carried for nine months, a child that she loved. Listen, sin impacts more than just the sinner. Everyone in the story, everyone suffers. Guys, when you're tempted by that other woman, remember sin always brings shame, and shame brings sorrow. Say no. Turn away. Pull a Joseph and run if you have to. Because sin impacts more than just the sinner. Everybody on stage gets hit with the garbage. The next epoch in the life of Bathsheba is, is a good part of the story. The epoch of grace You would think. Now if you were a legalistic Baptist. You would say. Bathsheba's life is over. That's the end of the story. Full stop. All finish. She's done. She's garbage. She's a shady lady. Nothing good will ever come. Of this. But there's a lesson in this. A lesson of grace. Our God is. Betty is a God of second chances. He is a God of grace. We sing about amazing grace. I love that song. Went to Fort Leonard Wood, I'm sorry, Fort Lost in the Woods Misery for my basic training a hundred years ago. And you talk about miserable. Brenda and I had been married one whole year, and I was in basic training a long way away. They took my clothes away from me. They took everything familiar away from me. We finally were allowed to go to a chapel service. And I went in and it was high church. It was the Protestant chapel service. And I sat and listened to music that I had never heard in my life. I grew up in the Baptist church and I had never heard that kind of music. And they finished early, and it was the military, mic, so you can't leave until the set time. You It know, doesn't matter that the service is over. The poor chaplain didn't have anything else to say. I'm not sure. He, I'm sorry. Never mind. And so he gave us the chance to request songs, and somebody said, Sing number, and I'm flipping through the book to see what number it is. And it was amazing grace i sat in that chapel service and i was supposed to be a soldier a warrior but delane i sat there and wept that old familiar song about the grace of god my mom sang specials in church and she sung about the grace 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 wonderful grace grace that is greater than all our sin the story of Bathsheba is a story of grace then David comforted his wife you can explain to your children what that means Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her as she bore and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon, the greatest Jewish king that ever lived, perhaps the greatest king of any age of any kingdom that ever lived. Solomon, the wisest king, the richest king, Solomon, she was the mother of Of Solomon. But that's not the greatest statement of grace. The next phrase. Is the greatest statement of grace. And the Lord loved him. Now wait a minute. This is the illicit relationship. Between David and Bathsheba. How can any child. Born to them. Be something of. Whom God would be proud. Of one that with whom God would be pleased. But God, our God, is a God of grace. And He graced Bathsheba. And He graced David in our fellowship. If a man had done that, he would be written off. Never to be thought well of. Never to be used of God again. I've got a friend in another country whose wife, left him and every preacher in that country for a long time it's getting a little better but they said you're out of ministry you can never preach you can never pastor again because his wife left him i've got another friend and this is going to rattle your cage if you've got a cage to rattle who had an affair in the process of the affair he murdered this is a pastor of a church, okay? He murdered his lover's husband, was caught, went to prison. He's out again. Every once in a while I see his face in the pulpit on Facebook. that raise your eyebrows a little bit? Our God is a God of grace. There is no preacher standing in any pulpit who is perfect. That includes me. That could have been you. That could have been me. There, but by the grace of God, go I. Are we a people of grace or not? And the Lord loved him. And so he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord, loved of the Lord. Listen, Bathsheba and Solomon are trophies of the amazing grace of God. So am I. And so are you. If you've trusted Christ, what did you do to deserve the salvation? that he gave you if you trusted Christ what did you do to deserve the forgiveness that he gave you you'd have to admit it was the grace of God and nothing that you did but if you're here friend and you have never been saved you've never come to Christ in faith you say I've done too much There's no way He could ever forgive me. There's no way He could ever save me. Look at David. Look at Bathsheba. We're talking about a king who was an adulterer. Worse than that, he was a murderer. And yet God allowed him to stay on the throne. Yes, there was sorrow. I did not mention, but a part of the sorrow of Bathsheba was the day when she, I talked about Ahithophel. When Absalom revolted, you do understand that Bathsheba and Solomon fled the city with David running away from the insurrection. Oh listen, divorce is a gift that keeps on giving. Murder, murder is a sin that is a shipwreck from which most never escape. But the grace of God. Listen to me. We sing about the grace of God, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Do we practice it? How graceful are you to others Who have fallen into the trap of adultery. How graceful are you to those who have been abused. How graceful are you to the adulterer. How graceful are we. Who have been so graced. With the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize the grace of God. And we need to practice the grace that we preach. Then finally, the epic of ascension. When people hear the word ascension, I, I googled that just to <laughs> make sure I was spelling it right for one thing, for another to make sure that Melody had the right meaning of the word. I mean, I, I know what ascending to the throne is supposed to mean, ascension. And I found out that, Don, most people when they think of use the word ascension in church they're talking about Jesus ascending to heaven and that's not what I'm preaching about you see Bathsheba had a high noble life and she descended into the pit of sin sorrow and shame but God by his grace lifted her up and she ascended to an even higher position David, at the end of his life, he is seventy years old. He's in bed, incapacitated. He can't get warm. In fact, they call a young lady to come and lie with him, though they were never—they never did the deed. Um, her name was Abishag. By the way, I can say the word Abishag, and Brenda says, uh ah, get that thought out of your head. You're not that old, and it doesn't matter even when you are that old. There will be no bed warmer. One of the weirdest scenes in the Bible. <laughs> Betty, I'll pay for that later, you know that. <laughs> One of the weirdest scenes in the Bible, Charlotte, is when Bathsheba goes in to tell David that Adonijah is stealing the throne, even though David's not dead. And here comes Bathsheba into the bedroom, and there's David in the bed with Abishag, and they're carrying on a conversation. And she's telling him that Adonijah is stealing the throne. And what are you going to do about it? Because you promised that my son Solomon would succeed you as king. It says then in verse 28, Then King David said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king, and the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, The God of Israel saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. The promise was there and David kept his promise. And Solomon, son of Bathsheba, yeah, the one who had been your wise wife, the one who had been taken by the king, the one who had suffered that abuse, the sin, the sorrow, and the shame, her son is now anointed as the king of Israel. There's another day, another scene in the epic of her ascension after David dies. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak by him on behalf of Adonijah, By the way, Abishag's still in the picture. Adonijah wants Abishag to be his wife, which means really to inherit the concubine of the king is to inherit the throne. Bathsheba doesn't seem to get that, so she speaks on behalf of Adonijah. The king rose to meet her. That statement, people, is beyond our comprehension. The king doesn't stand up. When somebody comes in, the people bow down. Had you ever thought of that? The king doesn't stand up when somebody comes in. The people bow down. His mother came in, Bathsheba, and he rose to meet her. And he bowed down to her. In an American mind, We have no idea what just happened. Jerry, it's huge. You talk about nobility. The king of the nation bows down to his woman, this woman, his mother. Then he sat on his throne and he had a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. Listen to me. There were many queens in Solomon's day. 700 queens and 300 concubines. But there was only one queen's mother. Only one. I know Mother's Day was last Sunday. The young man, old man, We only have one mother. You need to honor your mother. You need to remember her, and you need to honor her. Young ladies, you too. One mom. And you need to understand that he, your husband, only had one mom. She was the queen mother, and there was only one of them. And that was a very special position. But God chose to raise her, to lift her to that special position. And you're in, if you're in, that valley of sin, of shame, of sorrow, this too will pass. There's a better day coming. Don't give up hope. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can turn your ashes into beauty. He can bring you back to a place of ascension, of respect, of love, even of power. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. The grace of God is greater than all our sin. Though the sin done to you may shame you and bring you sorrow. Get this. That's been true of this whole series. I've said it before in other messages. That sin and what was done to you, the mistakes you made, none of that has to define who you are. Neither Does it determine your future? That's up to God. But whether you turn to God or not is up to you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus in repentance. Come to Jesus in faith. Turn your life over to Him. Trust Him. And He can turn your ashes into beauty again let's bow for prayer father i thank you for your amazing grace and i pray for those who need your grace the most lord i know i need your grace and i'm thankful for saving grace i'm thankful for enabling grace lord help me to be Graceful to others who also need your grace. Right now, in this congregation, on the live stream, if somebody's watching the video a year from now, those who need your grace, Father, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and draw them to yourself. I know you love them. I know you want them to come, but I know they won't come unless you draw them by your Spirit. And Father, I pray that right now, You would draw them by Your Holy Spirit that they would come to You. I pray for those seated seated here that, that, Lord, that You would speak to their hearts. And if there's something that they need to deal with You about, that they might come to this altar today. Pray here with me, with You. and Lord, turn their life over to You. Pray that in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen.